For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I read this passage a few weeks ago, uh, just in my sort of normal, regular Bible reading, and it's such a beautiful prayer that Paul has for the Ephesian church, and I sort of thought, that's, that's, that's a sermon there, and I put, made note of it, and I didn't, this trip wasn't planned yet, I thought, I don't know what, when I'll use it, but I made note of it. And when I found out I'd be getting the opportunity to come back for a visit here, I thought, hmm, what would I want to say to, to TCC if I could say something to them? And I thought of this prayer. I thought, that's, that's the prayer of someone who, who loves a church for a church. And I thought, why don't I just preach through this passage and hopefully we can be encouraged by something of the awesome uh, prayer and vision that, that Paul has for the Ephesian church that I think applies to us as well. It's a beautiful concept. The, the bit that stuck out to me most was verse 19. Right at the end it says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If I just let that stand for a second and you think of the bigness of that idea. That's massive. The fullness of God. Is, that's, there's, like, there's nothing else. Like all, that, all that Paul wants for the Ephesian church, all that I want for us this morning is just like everything that there is. The fullness of God. So this passage, um, it tells us something profound about God. And then it says something quite profound as well about our relationship to God and about our purpose and the, the reason why we exist. So I've got five points, which are more or less the five, well, it's not five verses, but it's six verses, but it's like the five, pretty much five verses, a verse to a point. And let's just go through this. So verses 14 to 15. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, immediately, an interesting choice of translation, and it's, it's, it's fair, but I actually think we can maybe do a little bit better, or get some insight into that translation. You've seen verse 14 where it describes God as Father. That Greek word for Father is, is pater, P-A-T-E-R, which is in verse 15, where it says family, it's the same root word, that, that would be patria, P-A-T-R-I-A, which, if you think about those two words, it might sound like words we still use in English, like, like patriarch, the, the, the father head of a family. So that's, that's worth thinking about as well, because a family line is historically, I, I know we sort of are moving away from this in the modern age, but historically that patriarch of a family Define the family. You, you, your place in the family is defined in relation to the head of the family, the father, the, I was going to say the godfather, the, the guy at the top of the, of the food chain, no, the, the, the person whose authority gives shape to that family. And you can see, if you read the Old Testament, that's very common, that they, they would read these genealogies that trace Israelites' relation to the patriarch of Israel, Abraham, the, the, the guy whose fatherhood defined Israel, and they are defined in relationship to coming from the line of Abraham. The father gives form to the family. So 
So, with that in mind, if we were to read these verses with that concept, you can see, see it like this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, that's God, from whom every fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. That, that actually, the concept of fatherhood, defining the family, being that patriarchal head of the family, that is coming from God, who is a father. The reason we have, this would have been a good Father's Day message actually, but I think we missed that one. But the reason we have fathers on earth is because God, <laughs> is because God gave us fathers to reflect who God is as the ultimate father. That actually being a father is in the nature of God. If you think of the Trinity as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God as Father is built into who God is. Is you know even without all of us in the picture. There is a father in the Godhead of the Trinity. And so God created fathers on earth to reflect that idea of what a father is. Now this is, this is quite important because it, it has implications for how we relate to our earthly fathers or how we as earthly fathers relate to our families and also how we relate to God. So, yeah, God the Father from whom every father in heaven and on earth is named. If you call anyone father, the reason that they are your father, or the, what makes them a father, is that they are in a position that reflects something of who God is. God is the father who gives definition to the word father. Now, this begs the question of what if your earthly father was terrible? Which I think for some of us may have been the case. Fatherhood can be a a sensitive topic. Even in that very sensitivity, you see again the power of the role, the calling that God has given to a father. For so many of us, our fathers shape our lives so profoundly by their presence or their absence. And that's, again, to image God as a father. But maybe your dad was not a good father. Maybe your dad was a terrible father. Maybe he left scars in your life that have lasted Till today, maybe he left patterns in your family, patterns of destruction and, and damage that are still affecting you. Maybe when you think of a father, or even think of God as father, you struggle to have a positive association with that concept because of what your father did in your life. Well then the first thing I would want to say to you is, maybe your dad was terrible. God is better. God is a better father. When we think that every earthly father takes their name from God, God is the perfect archetype of what a father should be. And with, if you wherever, whatever way your earthly father let you down, God does not. God cannot let you down. He will never let you down. So when you think of if your father was a terrible father, and you think of the scars and the damage and the hurt, the selfishness, the, whatever the destruction it may have been that your father left in your life, and you think that God calls himself Father, you actually need to think that in that gap between who God is and who your father should have been but wasn't, you can turn to God and say, God, you are my father, and you're the more important father than an earthly father. And whatever harm or damage or destruction may have been done by an earthly father, God, you can heal those hurts, you can right those wrongs, you can be my father. Maybe your dad was great. 
Maybe you had an earthly father who loved you, who took care of your family, who was responsible and, and, and sacrificial and servant-hearted and who used his authority to, to bless and provide and not to control or dominate. Maybe your earthly father was, I mean, maybe you had the best father of, of all your friends that you know. And then I would say to you, God is better. God is still better. If you had a great earthly dad, praise God for, for faithful fathers. First of all, and then remind yourself that God is the better father, that in everything that your father did well, God does that same thing to perfection. Yes. Where your father provided for your needs, God provides in abundance. God provides out of his limitless store. Where, where your father did his best to teach you to walk in the ways of God, God himself will come and, and walk with you in his ways and, and raise you up in the image of of Jesus, where your Father gave you earthly life, your Heavenly Father will give you eternal life if you trust in Jesus. If you had a great Father on earth, that is fantastic, but God is better. Yes. Yeah. That's right. If you had no Father at all, if your Father was absent from your life and you, you grew up without a Father, God wants to be your Father. God is, is there. Father, our Father in heaven, He wants to be your Father. If you had a Father still, and this is, becomes more relevant to me in my, in my age, having now left my Father's house, that God would be my Father. That you never have to be fatherless. You may not have an earthly dad, but you don't have to be fatherless in God's household. And maybe you are a father to all the fathers in this room. Then I have a simple challenge for you. Be like God. Be like God. What about the week after? It's not something you can do in your own strength. But if I go back to this idea of God from whom earthly fatherhood takes its name, God, by giving you children, has given you that name of Father to reflect God's fatherhood. It's, it's not something you can do on your own, but your calling is a high and godly calling to, to image the fatherhood of God to this world, to your children, to your family, to, the, to, the, to a world full of broken families. That you would be a father in the way that God is a father, in the way that serves, provides, nourishes, cares for, protects, sanctifies. As a father, you can, you can sanctify, you can help sanctify your family. You can discipline your children and raise them up in godliness. You can lay down your preferences to make it easier for your family to walk in God's ways. Father, you work hard all week at, at, at your job. On Sunday, you're tired. But be like God. Get up again in the strength God provides and bring your family to church. It's not time to kick back and switch off and watch TV on Sunday. It's time to help your family to get to know their, their heavenly father. It's a, it also, this concept speaks to parenthood in general. I can bring the, the mothers into this as well. God the father did something that I think earthly fathers would consider maybe not that good. He did not spare his son but gave him up for us. That's, a, that's interesting, isn't it? God as the father sent his son to die for us. Now, in that same way, your call is not to save your children from all harm on earth, but actually to faithfully 
raise them up in God's ways, and then give them up to the call of God. This, this is tough, but, you know, for some, some families here, I think of some of the missionary families in the room, God has called you to, to dangerous places, and you had to weigh this up already. God, what about our children? Do we take our children to these dangerous places? And you've come to the conclusion, perhaps, that it's better to walk in God's ways and let Him take care of your children than to try to protect your children and disobey God. God has a call for your children's lives, and if you try to protect them from the cost of following God, you do them no service at all. There comes a time where you need to raise up and release your children into the call of God. And they'll no longer be under your protection and provision. You won't be able to give them what they need or save them from difficulty. Which is why you need also to teach your children to know God as their father, first of all. Verse 16 goes on to say, That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Strengthened with power through His Spirit. What does it mean to be strengthened by the Spirit? I've put down just four ideas, four parts. It's not all of it. The, the work of the Holy Spirit is a, is a great mystery. And something I encourage you to delight in and to, to get to know as you, as you get to know God better. But there's some things that the Holy Spirit will do in your life that are very important. Firstly, the Holy Spirit will strengthen you with His power in revelation and illumination. Revelation and illumination. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. That's one of His roles in the life of a believer. When you get saved and you enter into relationship with God, and the Holy Spirit comes into your life and begins to teach you more about who Jesus is and about how great Jesus is. And the Holy Spirit illuminates God's Word. When you read the Bible, you can read it as words on a page. Those words, pluck them out, put them somewhere else. They've got no magic power on their own. The power in the living Word of God comes from the Holy Spirit. When you read the Bible and God speaks to you, that's the Holy Spirit's work. That's one reason why if you ask anyone who, how to do a quiet time, they'll always tell you, you need to read the Bible and pray. Because you usually want to pray first and say, God, when I read your word, speak to me. I could read these words and get nothing out of it. And do you know that there's scholars, non-believing, non-Christian scholars, who study the Bible as an ancient historical text and get nothing out of it. They read it and they think, this is interesting. That's not how we should read the Word of God, though. That's not how we want to read the Word of God. We want to, we want to read and be read by the Word of God. We want it to speak into our lives. We come to this as the voice of God speaking into who we are, who we're becoming, how we live our lives. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. When you come to God's Word, when you come on Sunday to hear the preaching of God's Word, when you go at home to read the Word, or maybe you read it as a family or by yourself, don't just come thinking, hmm, interesting. Come to that and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Yeah. Illuminate the Word of God. Light it up. That's what illuminate means. Light it up. Shine a light into that Word that I can see mysteries of the riches of the glory of God. The Holy Spirit empowers us 
or strengthens us with power, as it says in the first, in assurance and transformation. When you become a believer, well, as you have become a believer at some point, perhaps later on in your Christian walk, you may have that question, how do I know that I'm really saved? And it's the Holy Spirit who brings assurance into your heart. He gives it in two ways. One is inner confidence. As you, as you grow in knowledge and relationship with God, as the Holy Spirit is transforming you inside, you'll, you'll begin to grow in an inner confidence and just a sense of certainty that you are saved. And another way is through your ongoing transformation of your desires and your, your behavior and your life to be more Christ-like. The Holy Spirit works from the moment you get saved, in fact, from before you get saved, if we want to be very, um, what's the word, technical, yeah, precise, that's the word, very precise about this, because the Holy Spirit is the one who brings you to the point where you even can believe in Jesus. Yeah. And He doesn't stop there and say, okay, good, enjoy, go on by yourself. No, He keeps on working now, transforming you from the moment of new birth all the way through. We call it sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. And as you go through your life and you you, maybe you didn't have a very dramatic conversion experience. Maybe you can't go, go like one of those awesome testimonies of like, yeah, I woke up one day and my life just turned 180. Maybe it was more of a quiet day by day, getting closer, and one day it's like, yes, I do believe in Jesus. And it wasn't very dramatic. And, but then, six months later, six years later, 20 years later, you look back and you say, wow, I see that my life has changed over the years. That day by day, week by week, year by year, I'm becoming someone new. I'm becoming more like Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to be doing everything right in order to have that assurance. It doesn't mean that if you're making mistakes, now you're thinking, oh, I'm not becoming like Jesus. It's not working. But it means that as our desire to be like Jesus goes up, that we're going to also work to work out our salvation, to, to show it on the outside as well. The more we want to be like Jesus, the more we try to be like Jesus, the more that these desires and actions together deepen our confidence that we are in Christ. And both the desire and the outworking are evidence of God's work in us. Those famous verses in Philippians 2 verse 12 to 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. To will and to work. The will, the desire, the want to work out your salvation comes from God. And the working comes from God as well. Yeah. I've got an analogy for you. An analogy of a seed. When you get saved, it's like a seed planted in the ground. Now when you plant a seed, if anyone here has ever tried gardening, um, you don't see it in there necessarily. If you dig it up and look at it, you're ruining the process. It doesn't work like that. You put the seed in there, and now, how do you know that it's in there? Well, you maybe have faith that it's been planted. You've got faith in the planter. Maybe you planted it. You know it. You, you planted it. Or maybe you know that your gardener planted it, and you trust them. You've got faith in the planter. So, you water it. You can't see it, but you water it, and you wait till it starts to grow. And then, when that little green shoot starts to emerge from the soil, right, and it grows bigger and stronger, your confidence in that seed is getting deeper and stronger. 
as the plant grows up, you realize that it was planted in that good soil. And you also realize that the visible, the green reflection, that the top part is a reflection of the roots deepening underneath, strengthening in the ground. When the storm comes, you know that new tree is going to stand strong because the good fruit growing above points to a good root below. Yeah. That's, that's like assurance. When we're planted in Jesus' finished work of salvation, you might not see you know, all the fruit right away. Your life might not immediately, like, boom, now you're exactly like Jesus. But you begin to water it. The Spirit works in you. And growth starts to come. And as you go on in your Christian walk, growing up in maturity, and you start to see the fruit of it, that fruit also gives you deeper and stronger confidence in that root of how well you're planted in what Jesus has done for you. Full disclosure, that analogy came from ChatGPT. <laughs> it's true. I had a conversation with, uh, with my uncle, not this one, but the other one, and he said, he said try it, so I did. <laughs> but I think it applies. I adjusted it a bit. Um, let's say it. Let's say it. <laughs> um, a third way in which the, the Spirit strengthens us with power is He gives us power for ministry. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. There's no division between those God's, you know, those holy priests of God who do the work and the rest of us who just sit back and watch. No, we are all God's ministers, His priests in His, in his new kingdom. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 to 7 says, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To be strengthened by the Spirit, as Paul said in Ephesians, it's also to be empowered for ministry. And if you're here this morning as a believer, the Spirit is empowering you. You have been given gifts, uh, service, activities. There are varieties. We're not the same, but it all springs from that same Holy Spirit who has called us, set us apart for the work of ministry in God's kingdom. I can't tell you what that is. I don't know most of you nearly well enough to tell you what that is. But the Spirit can. And you can go and pray and say, God, what are you calling me to? What ministry have you prepared for me? What acts of service, what good works have you put ahead of me to do in your strength, in your power? I can give you some generalizations here. These are important though. They're not, they're, 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 these apply to everyone. They're not generalizations, but they apply to everyone. The Spirit has empowered every believer for the dual ministry of being a witness of the work of Jesus. And that's a very important one. And every believer in this room, God has called you and set you apart to be His witness of His work in Jesus. To take the gospel out into the world. Man, when we come here on Sunday and, and we think this is like the Christian thing, this is such a small part of what God has called us to do. And if you sit and you think, wow, those guys in the worship team are way too talented. I could never be like that. I, I think that too. Doesn't matter because maybe God hasn't called you to that. God has called you to take His Word to a broken world. To take Jesus out onto the streets 
and to your office buildings and into town and to the, the farthest reaches of Madagascar and the whole world in His power. And then, in parentheses there, also to build up the church. Actually, God has called us to use our gifts to strengthen the church. The church being one another. Look around you. See who's seated around you. This is the church where God has put you. God has given you gifts to strengthen one another. In His strength, not in our strength. And fourthly, I think, who knows the, the verse about the fruits of the Spirit? One. Good. Okay, I'll read it for the rest of us. Galatians 5 verse 22. Uh, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These fruits, these characteristics that we long to see in our lives and in one another's lives, these are the work of the Spirit, strengthening us with His mighty power. Desire to increase in these things. Desire to increase in love, in joy in peace. If joy, man, I said this two weeks ago and I preached at Common Ground. I said sometimes, you know, salvation should be joyful, but sometimes we treat it more like a free ticket to the dentist than, than it is, uh, you know, the gift of eternal life in Jesus. Let your joy be visible. Let your love be visible. Um, Jesus said, by this they will, you, they will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. How do you want to show the world that we really know Jesus? Love one another. I'm not going to do all the fruits, but they're all good. So desire to increase in these things. Pray for them. Let them grow. Ask the Spirit to grow them in you. That's what He does. And then Paul says, uh, Galatians 5 verse 20 to 5, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us walk with the Holy Spirit. Let us listen for His guidance. Let us hear what He has to say. Sometimes it's not always, you know, illumination and encouragement. It can also be rebuke, correction. The Holy Spirit can come to you and say, Hey, that wasn't loving. Hey, that wasn't peaceful. Hey, that was out of line. And then you, you repent and you say, I'm sorry. Help me be more like Jesus. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. But what then, according to our main text in Ephesians, what is the purpose of this inner strengthening of the Spirit? Paul goes on to say, we must be strengthened, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The Spirit works and strengthens and builds us so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. God the Father, from whom all fatherhood is named, has ordained this relationship between us and Him, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. That is God's plan for our relationship, Him with us. It's not distant and vague. It's close, intimate. It's in our very hearts. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing, before you grab your phone and get on Facebook, the first thing you should do is you should say, Christ dwells in me. I am God's child. So, we need the strengthening of the Spirit. 
Because if the Spirit did not first make our hearts a suitable dwelling place, we would be, how, how could Christ dwell in our sinful and broken hearts? We would be consumed by the holiness of God. We sang that beautiful song, you are holy, holy forever. Holy means set apart, perfect, righteous, no wrong or sin or darkness in God at all. God is like a consuming fire, and if you want to take that into our sinful, dirty hearts, it's not going to end well for us. God is never going to change, which means we have to change. Yeah. And that, the Spirit strengthens us so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. And Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith. We must, we must hear and believe that God exists. That He has sent His Son to save us and He desires a relationship with us. If we don't have faith in Jesus, why would He dwell in our hearts? He, he wants relationship with us. He's not coming to just, you know, sneak in and, and squat in our hearts while we pretend He doesn't exist. It's, it's a relationship He desires. So we must have faith. Additionally, light and darkness have no fellowship at all. If God is light then we need to be transformed by faith in Jesus, that He may dwell in our hearts. Then, when Christ dwells in our hearts, we can truly know that we are wholly, completely given over to His kingdom and His cause. That we are a new creation for His purpose. Christ dwells in our hearts. What could compare to that? Yeah. But it gets even better. John Piper likes to say that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. To put it another way, the more we enjoy God, the more glorious He appears to us and to everyone. That God gets more glory when we enjoy God more. So Christ dwells within us, both for our good, saving us, sanctifying us, making us more like Him, and for His glory. And when He dwells in us, that's good for us. We enjoy it. We are satisfied by His presence. There's the, there's the I, I want to say it's a bit of a Christian cliche, but it's also true. The idea that everyone has a, a Jesus-shaped hole in their heart, or a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. Only He can satisfy our deepest longings. And so when Christ dwells within us, then we are satisfied. The more we enjoy Him, the more glory He gets for being the one who satisfies the deepest longing of our heart. You can say it the way that Paul says it, verse 17 to 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We are rooted and grounded in love, and we get to know the surpassing love of Christ. What a glorious picture is that. that? That Christ dwells in us for our joy and our good to know His love. That He doesn't come to make us miserable uh, Christian slaves walking day by day. Oh, I've got to do the Jesus thing again. He comes to make us alive with new life, with Christ in our hearts, joy 
and, and love and an experience of the way we were meant to know God before sin. Jesus died for you so you could know His surpassing love, not just in that one act of salvation. That's, that's sometimes how we tell the gospel story. It's like Jesus' love, is, His perfect love is, is shown on the cross. Yes, and then in the ongoing and eternal truth of Christ dwelling in you. And it gets even better. That final verse, verse 19, be filled with the fullness of God. This is why God made you. You're sitting here today, God, why did you make me? What's the purpose of my life? To be filled with the fullness of God. This is why God made the universe. This God, God who's perfectly complete, perfectly satisfied, He in Himself had everything. There was no need in God, no lack. God didn't make us because He was missing something or because He wanted a friend because He was lonely. God has never needed anything. He created life, the universe, and everything so that from His limitless supply of Himself, He could pour Himself out into the vessels of you and me. We exist to be filled with the fullness of God. The words are too easy to say. The, the picture is too big to express. That is the glory of God's goodness. I'll, I'll quote John Piper again, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. He delights to pour out His fullness into us. And as we receive and enjoy and delight in the fullness of God in our lives, God is glorified over and over again. And that is eternity. You wonder, what are we going to do in heaven? What's the point of living forever? I, I read this the other day, an observation, that grace never ends. Because we're never going to stop needing God's grace. We're never going to get to the point, never, ever, in all eternity, where we say, where, where anyone can say, yes, God, now it's enough. Now I can do it on my own. For all of eternity, always, we will be sustained and upheld by God's grace. Only God is, is eternal in Himself. You know, the, the universe will wear out. We would wear out too if God didn't sustain us. It's, the eternal life that we'll have is from God. So eternity then, it's, it's a never-ending process of God pouring Himself out into us. And we reflect back His glory in worship and adoration forever. We are made to be filled with the fullness of God. You are made to be filled with the fullness of God. So then I have a challenge to you. Leave behind your earthly attachments. Stop chasing money. Stop chasing health or fun. Leave your insecurities and your, your distractions. Forget your comfort and, and your, your, you know, your, whatever your earthly desires. Ignore these distractions and temptations. You are made to be filled with the fullness of God. What could compare to that? We are called to more. I think of, of C.S. Lewis' description that God's problem with humanity is not that we and our desires are too strong. It's that our desires are too weak. We, we walk around wanting this, wanting that, wanting the next thing of stupid little earthly things that could never satisfy. 
We are made to be filled with the fullness of God. So don't, don't want less. Want more. It's not about wanting earthly stuff less. It's about wanting God more. You'll displace earthly desires with the love of God. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of the world will grow strangely dim. Be filled with Him. Breathe Him in. Let His life animate you. Embrace your purpose. You are a vessel for the fullness of God. Leviticus 11 verse 44. I'm concluding now. Leviticus 11 verse 44. It says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy. For I am holy. How can we be made into vessels suitable for God's fullness? By way of summary then, let's read backwards through our text in Ephesians. Before we are filled with the fullness of God, we must know the love of Christ. Jesus on the cross, Jesus who died for you, Jesus who wants to come and dwell in your heart forever. Receive his salvation, know his love. And then reading back from that, you need to be strengthened first by the Spirit. You cannot have Christ dwell within you if you are not transformed and made new and made alive by the power of God. You must be stirred to life by the Holy Spirit. Only God can do that. Reading back from that, we find the Father from whom all fatherhood is named. There is a God in heaven. He has revealed himself to us. You are made to know God. So embrace the fatherhood of God. Receive the work of the Spirit. Accept Christ into your heart. Know his love. Be washed clean in his salvation. Be holy as he is holy so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have made us for glorious purpose. The purpose of knowing you and glorifying you forever. Lord, stir our hearts to desire more of you. The fullness of who you are. Your great love in salvation in new life in your kingdom. Displace our earthly desires, our weak and distracted hearts are easily turned to temptation, God, but lead us not into temptation, Lord. Rather, satisfy us with who you are. We want to know you. We bring ourselves this morning, we say, we are your people, a people for your own possession, to know you, to walk in all your ways to be loved by you and to love you for all eternity. We thank you, our Father. Amen.